old man, I'll tell you. See, all that hollering and all that talking around. Now, hello, got it plugged in over there, dear? You let us know when it's hello there. I knew you could do it. Yes, indeed. Sometimes we go galloping off after windmills and forget that we're riding on a paper horse. Well, now, uh... (laughs) Poor Matt. (laughs) Now, uh, I have a very important thing I wish to do here tonight before we get underway. You know, for a long time, uh, we have uh, saluted the cultures of other peoples that are are living on this vast spinning meatball that uh, we live in. By the way, speaking of the vast spinning meatball... uh, Hey, can you imagine how it would be if you were living on another planet someplace and uh, you were writing uh, science fiction stories about Earth? And, uh, you know, you, you were trying to imagine these fantastic creatures that lived on Earth. Because, you, you know, if, if there is another planet and there are uh, uh, recognizable uh, beings that have evolved a certain amount of culture and, uh, and technology... They could probably see us, I mean, you know, with a with a big telescope and that. And uh, there must be guys writing stories about it. And can you imagine the unbelievable disappointment when they arrive and they pick up stuff? You know, an Earth probe arrives instead of a Moon probe, and it comes squatting down right in the middle of a big junkyard in Jersey. And the uh, little thing, hey, what would we do? Uh, that's a good question, you know. What would? How would we react if suddenly something came out of the sky, trailing smoke? You know, it just came swishing down, and it landed. It uh, when it caught within a certain like fifty feet from the Earth, a parachute came out, and this thing landed. And obviously, it is from another planet. What would be the reaction? Uh, now, you know, this this uh, argument has gone on for years, and uh, of course, the old Orson Welles bit, uh, which uh, I don't think was uh, particularly valid. I'm just curious what the reaction... Because, you see, that was a dramatic program that involved uh, uh, creatures landing and shooting and blowing people up and all that. It's natural that people would get excited if they thought anybody was landing and shooting them and blowing them up. I mean, if I came out tonight and announced that uh, the Russians have landed in uh, Pittsburgh and uh, they're blowing all the people up and everything is, you know, and and I I did a remote and I'm picking up... and. uh, uh, you you would get excited. You would. You'd be just start running around, and going down to the barber shop, and saying, "You hear what's happening to Pittsburgh?" And that's exactly what this uh, Orson Welles show did. So it really wasn't anything about panic in the air. You know, people who write about that show constantly miss the point about it. Uh, they seem to show that this shows that the people are easily panicked, and that the media has a great grip on them, and so on. But it just seems to me the nature of the news that they were giving out on that show. You know about that show, don't you, man? You, oh, come on. It's a classic show, the Orson Welles Ma- Martian show. Uh, very few people know, I mean, uh, have bothered to investigate what the show actually said. Well, the show really didn't, you know, wasn't as uh, it's easy enough uh, to, to, to imagine why people would get excited about it because they actually came on. They broke on in the middle of what apparently was an innocuous dramatic show. Just a show going along. When all of us in the voices, we now bring you a special news report that uh, some unbelievable creatures have just landed in New Jersey, and uh, thousands of people are being killed. They're, sh- they're shooting flamethrowers at them, and uh, we'll have more news in just a moment. And then they went back to the show. Well, I, I, I ask you, what if tomorrow morning on the Today Show, let's say on the uh, you know TV, you're watching there, and there's Hugh Downs talking about his hair transplant and. And Joe Garagiola's making the same old joke about how bad a catcher he was and all that stuff. You know, it's going on. All of a sudden, they say, we now take you to the newsroom. 
And there's a guy sitting there, and he says, ladies and gentlemen, uh, a, uh, a news report has just come in that 26,000 unidentified objects have landed in Ohio. The people are dying. Flames are blowing up the bridges. And that we have no more information because all the information is cut off due to the fact that our wire and telephone and our radio lines have been mysteriously cut down. We'll try to get more information on. Now back to Hugh Downs. Well, I suggest there would be a little panic. If not panic, a little concern. Do you agree? Well, uh, so this is what they did. And this is really uh, the, the idea of, uh, you know, of, of the uh, Orson Welles show. Now, the question is here... What would happen? Because, you know, we're so fiction-oriented in our life. We've seen so many science fiction movies that people uh, tend to not accept anything real. You know, I think this is one of the reasons why most people are not yet totally aware of the reality of the fact that man has actually gone to the moon. Somehow it's a big TV show yet in most people's mind. You know, it's, a, it's like an extension of a, of a Stanley Kubrick movie or something. It's not, it's not quite... You know, not quite real. Uh, and so, uh, we'll give, you, give you an idea of that. Listen to this little note from Los Angeles. just came in. It says, since man landed on the moon, space toys have lost popularity dramatically. Now, you probably thought it was the other way around, didn't you? But actually, it's not true. Space toys have lost popularity dramatically. A major Japanese toy maker says, and by the way, a great percentage of our toys are Japanese, in case you're curious. People who are very excited about going to the moon, says Taro Mano of Gekin Company Limited of Tokyo. But when astronauts come back with locks that do not look exciting to many people, their dream was shattered. Mystery gone. We are now looking for other type of toy. In other words, the guys came back from the moon and the rocks look, you know, like the same kind of rocks you pick up, uh, you know, at Jones Beach. So uh, <laughs> everybody expected, you know, a guy come back with a big chunk of green cheese, maybe, or some kind of a... Fi you remember all the glop that went on before the trip to the moon? You remember all that? that uh, I almost said something real bad on the radio, man. It even shocked you. It has to do with horses. But do you remember all that stuff that people were talking about? There were great big scientists, you know, that were predicting that, they, that, they, that the astronauts are going to come back with an unbelievable rare disease and was going to destroy the Earth in 12 minutes. I wonder where those guys are today. <laughs> you know, they, they were on the Barry Farber show. They were on all the shows, you know. And they were all very official people. And, uh, of course, uh, there were all kinds of predictions. But what happened? They found out that the moon was a place, you know, that rocks and uh, a lot of dust and crud. A great place for a used car lot, from what I could see. But, uh, nevertheless, uh, the dream was shattered. And uh, what was the dream? Well, the dream, of course, is that unreality. That's what I'm, uh, the, 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 to, to reduce it to its basic uh, premise, the dream is that, that sense of unreality, you know, that everybody would like to see monsters. And yet everyone uh, secretly believes there aren't monsters. Now, what would happen if suddenly, it actually did occur, let's take on a quiet June afternoon, Everybody's walking around and uh, doing his thing. And, uh, you know, people have got signs. They're protesting this. And other guys are making bombs. And everybody's, you know, just a normal June day, see. When all of a sudden, out of the sky, something whistles, see. Big trailing smoke. It comes down. And arms shoot out of it. Parachute flies up. And zap. It lands right next to Route 22. 
back of the two guys from Harrison's store, you know, where they throw all the junk. And blomp, lands. Sha. Well, of course, the first idea would be instantly, naturally, that uh, that some airplane has crashed or uh, something like that has happened. Well, obviously, this thing is half... I'm talking about a big thing. I'm talking about a thing about, you know, about half the size of Lincoln Center comes down, and it's got uh, <laughs> it's got probes, and instantly, a big arm comes out and starts shoveling up the dirt, see? <laughs> you remember how our little moon probe did that? It shoveled up dirt, see? It starts shoveling up the dirt, and it's scooping it up, it's eating up the dirt, see? Because this thing has been programmed by the guys living in, uh, let's say, uh, Galaxy 7, uh, uh, Japip 9... In the, in the third outer ring of Saturn, they have programmed this thing to bring back some samples. You see, they have no idea that there's anybody here. Uh, again, because they read science fiction, too. You see, everybody thinks, well, no, the scientists have proved conclusively that, that life as they know it cannot exist on this dead planet. Well, of course, life as they know it doesn't exist on this dead planet. It's us. And this big thing starts scooping up the dirt. It's swallowing it. I can imagine all the guys running out of the flagship, you know, where they're buying used furniture. And all the people stopping their cars, you know, on their way in. At the stop, they think it's a new hot dog stand or something. You know, Believe me, anybody that could build a flagship on Route 22 is capable of building a hot dog stand that looks like a spaceship. So it lands there, and it's scooping this jazz up. <laughs> And, and uh, what would our actually, now we're sitting here laughing about this because none of us actually can conceive of the possibility of that happening. We just, there's so many things that are beyond the possibility, but actually are very possible, that uh, our mind just instantly rejects it and we sort of laugh as it is a funny bit. But the question I would like to ask is what would really happen if this thing lands for just like, say, five minutes? It comes plunk, and it's digging up the dirt, and you can see lights going. It's taking pictures. See, lights are going off and on, and it's got everything going. See, it's obviously just a big mechanical contrivance. There are not little green men in it. Because, after all, the first thing we sent to the moon was a probe. It, it didn't have any people in it. And so it's taking pictures, and then as, as everybody starts to circle around it, you know, the tremendous crowd of people suddenly arrive, naturally, you see. Gabe Cressman would show up, Lester Smith would be on hand immediately, and just about the time all these guys got there with their tape recorders, wow, it's gone. Cloud of smoke in the air, and that's it. Takes off at 35,000 miles an hour. The rockets go off and blast a big hole back at two guys from Harrison, and it's gone. Now, what would happen? I mean, what, what would, how would Lester Smith handle it? I, I, would, I would question, what would Lyle Van, you know, good evening and time for the human side of the news. Today, I mean, would, it, would that fit the human side of the news if some giant thing landed from the third galaxy? Would he report it? I mean, you know, he only reports human stuff. Uh, and so uh, that would be, uh, uh, can you imagine that night, Walter Cronkite come out with the earphone in his head, see, and uh, he has a considered opinion from NASA. And uh, by the way, speaking of considered opinion. <laughs> this is WOR. This station only does stuff that has deep and considered the reasoning behind it. We're here in New York deeply involved station. And, oh, by the way, one of the things they would have, of course, they'd have all kinds of high-level radio equipment aboard this thing. Anybody who would have that kind of technology. You know that we had aboard our first space probes, are you aware that we had radio detection equipment 
so that if there was any kind of low-level form of radio communications going on, say at Venus, we would have had some knowledge of it. You know what a radio scan is? Do any of you know what a radio scan is? Do you know what this is? How about you, Matt? Do you know what a radio scan is? A radio scan is a type of radio receiver that literally scans all available spectra. In short, it's a radio receiver. If you can imagine a receiver, like, like take your radio set there now. You're listening to 710, we presume, on a dial. Well, all right. Uh, you have no knowledge, then, of what's going on on, say, 880 or, or, let's say, 1230 or 1560 because your radio set is set at a certain frequency and it rejects all the other frequencies if it's a decent radio. If it's a bad radio, you're probably getting nine stations at once, but that's something else. <laughs> and uh, Nevertheless, uh, the, the, a radio scan is a receiver that scans frequencies very rapidly. And if it detects something on a frequency, just even if it's a, uh, an instantaneous, minute signal, it will stop and home in on that frequency to try to hear what's going on there. But if, if after a few seconds nothing happens, it will go on again. And so it just, it just constantly scans the frequencies, and it will stop wherever something is happening. Well, that's how they, 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 they had this thing aboard the a space probe on Venus. So when the probe went past Venus, it was, going it was scanning all the frequencies so that if somebody down there had had a soap opera on, you know, or something like that, you know, <laughs> you never know. Really, you don't. Uh, it would have picked it up and recorded it and rebroadcast it back to Earth so we would know what they're, what they're saying. Well, can you imagine this giant machine lands outside of Route 22 and they've got radio scan equipment, see? The next thing you know, they've got a quick shot of Cousin Brucey. They've got a little, little shepherd there. They've got, the <laughs> you know, they got a couple of quick snippets of uh, Barry Farber. They've got some stuff, you know, they've got Ted Brown. They've got the whole scene, see? So then it rah, takes off again. Well, now these guys are sitting on the other planet. Now, the next thing you know, they're, they're going to be deciphering these tapes. And uh, here they've got this enormous Tower of Babel. <laughs> and, of course, what they would do, they would have to come to the obvious conclusion that no recognizable uh, uh, intellect resides on this planet, that what they've gotten is random noise. And, of course, so you can't help that because, after all, it was 46 million miles in space, and, after all, random noise is random noise. It's some kind of radioactivity from the rocks. And the, they, they, they dig up this Earth, you see, and they get back up to, the, to their planet, and this, they start immediately. They would, they would uh, quarantine this piece of equipment because of the deadly diseases that are liable to be brought back from this rare planet, us. And uh, they, they quarantine it, and the scientists all gather, whatever their scientists look like, and they begin to examine the earth which they have scooped out with the machine and brought back. And you know, there's these Miller beer cans and uh, <laughs> Pepsi bottle tops and all kinds. Well, you know, you just take a shovel any place in Jersey and you shovel for five minutes and you're going to have more junk than you ever believed existed. Really. You know? Uh, speaking of uh, beer cans, we got a spot here for you. You know, I, I knew that you could hardly wait to hear a commercial. Big Apple supermarkets are now ShopRite supermarkets. A big change to ShopRite means a bigger change for you. There's a big change at Big Apple. There's a big change all store through. 
Then the big change means more value. Then it means more change for you. There's a bigger savings now. And we've changed our name. Because Big Apple's joined the shop. There'll be change at the checkout stand. A friendly face with a helping hand. ShopRite makes those prices fall. No matter where you live, friends, your ShopRite is joining in the big change celebration. Look for even more money-saving power working for you. It was hard to get a, a really good job because I had no education. And uh, no one would have a, what you would call a high school dropout. And uh, if you're just bumming around, man, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get down, I'm going to get down to it. I mean, if you're really bumming around and got no job, Job Corps is the best place for him, for him or her. You've got an opportunity here if you want it. A lot of people should uh, take advantage and make something of themselves like I'm making of myself. Tired of bumming around? Want to learn a trade? Join Job Corps. Get a trade. And if you want, an education too. For men and women between 16 and 21. By the way, speaking of cockroaches, I have a little note here. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I, uh, I don't know why I brought this up, you know, this whole thing of, uh, of the uh, space capsule landing on the earth i guess i brought it up because uh because most things that that are part of fiction that we make fiction of uh we can't really accept the reality of in short if there was no such thing as science fiction we could accept the fact that a thing could come from outer space <laughs> is what my theory holds uh let's take the west now, there, I saw here last week uh, one of my favorite movies of the West. It's a real fine movie. Uh, did you ever see uh, The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance? That's a real fine picture. But most people who love Westerns hated it because it didn't conform to the myth of the Western. A Western has to be absolutely like a classical operatic uh, script. And so uh, the, the, the real Western cuckoos didn't like this. Now, uh, on the other hand, uh, we, the, a lot of that holds true for uh, science fiction. Very few science fiction stories have ever become classics. And this is part of the science fiction myth. That one of the great science fiction myths is this beautiful civilization. Have you ever noticed that almost anybody who's interviewed about, you know, they, they went to Venus... Remember the stuff that John always used to do? Or they went to Mars, these people came back, uh, they were visited by moon men. Have you noticed that almost invariably, the myth holds these great beings from outer space who come from a fantastic civilization which has defeated wars, they don't have any war, they don't have any disease, are perfect in other words, have come down to straighten out Earth. Now how many times have you read that or seen that? It, it, it follows in Robert Heinlein, you see it in Ray Bradbury. Did you ever read the Martian Chronicles? Well, that's a famous Ray Bradbury. Is that Bradbury or Heinlein? Lee? Hey, are you with me, baby? Hey! Is that, Hi is that Bradbury or Heinlein? You weren't listening. The Martian Chronicles. Ray Bradbury. Okay. 
<laughs> All right, now. Well, i got to get you back into the scene here once in a while, baby, so I'm sorry to interrupt you. But uh, nevertheless, the, the, uh, uh, Ray Bradbury wrote The Martian Chronicles. Now, if you read them, they, they were all about how evil man arrived at beautiful Mars. There had been this unbelievably beautiful civilization of just absolutely ethereal people living in a ballet of some kind, it seemed like. And the man came, and the first thing he did was throw beer cans around. Well, that became a classic because it fits the myth. The myth, because generally man hates himself, so what he feels is that wherever he goes, there must be this beautiful civilization. This is the savior myth. Uh, it, it, it pertains to many different civilizations. Even, even if you go to, the, to Polynesia, you know. The Polynesians at one point in their history believed that this great ship was going to arrive with these beautiful people and everything was going to be straightened out then. We're going to bring them all goodness, all truth, all beauty. And uh, so this is a constant myth with man. You've never read a science fiction story that achieved there have been stories written like this, but I mean, have achieved classic status, where man arrives at another planet, man. He arrives up there, see, and as they near the planet, they, became, they become aware that there is some kind of life. We have all kinds of infrared detection devices. There is life on this planet. And uh, first they, they believe it's some kind of plant life, you know, like algae. And as they get closer and closer to the planet, day by day, their, their equipment, their machines, they know it's more than algae. There's some kind of major life there. And finally, the, the, the ship lands, and they're in the middle of one of the most slovenly, rottenest civilizations. Everybody's sitting around, big, fat slobs. They're watching television shows that make Ed Sullivan look, you know, intellectual. They're drinking beer. They're smoking cigar butts. They have got traffic jams that don't stop. I mean, just extend all around the entire planet. In addition to that, they have a continual war that's going on. They all hate each other. Everybody's got cancer. In fact, they haven't solved the doggone thing. If anything, you know, if anything, it's even worse in our world. That story would not achieve classic status. Why? It does not fit the myth. And people would hate it. <laughs> I mean, they would hate that story. Uh, speaking of uh, classic myths, Television, it's more than a looking matter. And TV Guide is edited for people who believe that television is to read about as well as watch. The current issue of TV Guide magazine profiles Hal Holbrook, the man and his characters. He made a career of portraying Mark Twain on stage. Now he is involved in a second career playing the senator on the bold ones. The versatile Hal Holbrook, subject of the cover story of this week's TV Guide. Other features study America's changing face and the influence television has upon it. From the progress of women's lib in television to pro basketball's second line of defense. Television, nothing brings it all together like TV Guide. This week, every week. TV Guide, New York's biggest selling weekly magazine. America's biggest selling weekly magazine. TV Guide, on sale everywhere. This is Mayor Lindsay shouting to you from Times Square. If you're having a problem hearing me, that's the problem. Air pollution. 150 decibels of noise is enough to drive a man insane. And in Midtown New York, it's already at 77. Noise is our fault if we use steel garbage cans instead of plastic. 
and noise is our fault if we flare our radios or don't complain when somebody else flares theirs. I'm sorry if you're having a problem hearing me. Noise is our fault if we blow our car horns. Besides, that's against the law unless it's a matter of life or death. Just listen to the horn. It's a pain in the ear. If we don't cut down on all this racket, we're going to drive ourselves nuts. Poverty, ignorance, pain, hunger, sadness, loss of self-respect, disease, false idols, hate. These are the reasons why people fight. These are also the reasons why the Peace Corps is in Ghana and India and Colombia and 49 other countries. The job of a Peace Corps volunteer is to give people a chance to develop dignity. To give people a chance to know they can do a job well. To give people a chance to be proud. To give people a chance at a better life. In short, to give people a chance. This is how the Peace Corps works for peace. Would you like to work for peace? You may be qualified. Write the Peace Corps in Washington for an application. Okay. Now we've got all the commercials done. Uh, Matt, would you please... I'd like to, uh, tonight, uh, speaking of great civilizations, wait till I get my material here together. I've got this. Would you... I'd like to salute the British, if you will, please. program and its associated program services now bring you salute to great Englishmen everywhere. The motto of our program on the third broadcast services, we shall fight them from the hedgerows, we shall fight them by God, from the beaches, we shall fight them with blood, sweat, and tears. And tonight your commentator takes this opportunity on the British broadcasting system, third program directed to our listeners everywhere. We take tonight's opportunity to salute the officers of the Queen's Horse Guards, a splendid organization that goes well back into British history. Officers of the spit and polish Queen's Horse Guards turned up, and we're delighted to report this. Their noses today had a proposal for using armor made of plastic instead of the traditional brass cuirasses or breastplates. We quote here, it's a damn good thing, too, snorted one mustachioed officer reacting to the decision to retain the metal variety instead of switching to plastic armor. The British Army has been looking into the possibility of looking for plastic for several months, fearing there might come a day when there would be no craftsman to fashion the traditional classic metal armor for the Queen's horse guards. The bottom ranks, of course, of the Queen's guards were in favor of the idea the other ranks are always in favor of destroying tradition. They have to polish their own metal plates. Officers have valets to handle the task. Naturally, it was the brave officers who forced the army to abandon the ridiculous idea. And so tonight we salute the officers of the Queen's Horse Guards for retaining classical metal, brass, and German silver armor. So tonight we have saluted Englishmen everywhere. 
the Englishman shall survive. The sun may set on the empire, but it will never set on the Englishman. This program has been a special broadcast service of the British Broadcasting Corporation. The third program services. We respectfully suggest you stay tuned to Dame Madly Whitley Horsley and her wonderful program entitled British Stamp Collecting and You. Why do they always put that stuff on my show? Why don't they put that on John Gamblin's show? Salute to the BBC, a ridiculous show. Somehow the idea of plastic armor, I kind of like that. Plastic armor. You know what kind of country you're living in, friends? Sacramento, California. little note I see in the bottom of one of the papers. It says there are 14 licensed rainmakers in California. <sighs> Creeping witchcraft. They pay $50 a year for a permit to practice their profession. I'm a licensed rainmaker. I mean, only in America could this happen. I'm serious. Can you imagine this in any other country? Oh, yes. Oh, wait, with rainmakers? Are you kidding? Listen, an India friend, a rainmaker is considered traditional. Listen, they have everything. Do you know that I was told when I was in India by a very serious man that if I went to a, a guy that he could recommend, he could tell me my entire future. By the way, this was told to me by a doctor of philosophy man that this second man could tell my entire future by measuring my shadow. No, you know. <laughs> what are you going to say? Never move. Hooray, boy. Hooray, hooray, hooray. Progress. P-R-O-G-R-E-S-S. Progress. We salute you. Thank you, man. We would like... Oh, no, no. Don't, don't, don't take that out. We're going to need this. Only in America. Listen to this. Throw those damn pictures away. That Everybody that comes in disturbs the whole show. Throw them out, Al, please. <laughs> you should have seen the nude ones. Bring it up. Now, I would like to... <laughs> I would like to salute something. <laughs> I'm sorry, Matt. But only you'll find... Cut it, Matt. Cut it out. Listen to this. I would never have thought I'd see... You remember when people used to, used to laugh at the computer dating idea? You remember, you know, when people used to think that's funny, you know, guys stand around on the street corners and hand you little cards, are you lonely, the computer date service, <laughs> you know, remember that stuff? And, uh, of course, now it's so accepted, which shows how creeping meatballism is taking over. Today, that's not even a joke. People seriously accept that. Oh, yeah. They have whole weekends and joints up in Catskills, you know, computerized dates and all. And they seriously, uh, you know, they buy that stuff. Uh, in fact, I, I, I know of one guy that filled out a card completely. Uh, this is a true story. He filled out one of these cards, and he waited around for them to give him the name of the person. That You know, these are all done, uh, supposedly, uh, uh, with absolute confidentiality. So he filled out this card, and uh, he's waiting to see who they're going to date him up with. And the machine is coughing away there. You know, the lights are going off and on. This is up in the Catskills. And the card comes out, and he couldn't believe his eyes. Of course, anybody who knew him would realize the machine told the truth the first time. He had a date. It was himself. <laughs> of course, he's always had problems, quite ambiguous. But uh, nevertheless, uh, here, here is something you wouldn't, you wouldn't believe unless you saw it. Listen to this one. It's from the Evening Bulletin, which is one of my favorite uh, 
humor papers, the Philadelphia Evening Bulletin. Great humor in the paper. How about this? Wouldn't you like to go to this place? Please give me a little of that music. Uh, uh, here, listen, listen to this ad. Please. It's a big, great big ad, see? And this comes from a spy, one of our soldier types from Fort Dix, New Jersey. Doggy mate. Computer dog mating service. <laughs> yes, computer dog mating service is designed to accurately help match your dog with a perfect mate, no matter what type. Your dog will be happy now, at long last, using the Doggy Mate Computer Dog Mating Service. Oh, man, how far will it go? Where will it go? Doggy Mating Service. Well, you know, as, as much as we laugh about it, that probably makes more sense than human beings mating. Because, after all, all they're worrying about is, is uh, you know... In, yeah, the, the type and, and uh, bloodlines and so forth. But how you can mate people with computers is one of the great jokes of our time. You know, it's, it's funny about people that love-hate relationship to the computer. On the one hand, everybody's yelling about he's lost his identity. You know, this is a whole big shtick in every movie, every play, uh, every poem, the whole bit. And uh, they talk about loss of identity. And on the other hand, everybody embraces the computer... As a, as a kind of a second savior, somehow. Have you noticed on TV commercials now the computer's playing a big role? Uh, the computer, uh, it, uh, it just doesn't uh, make mistakes. Uh, for example, uh, uh, there's one insurance company that's got this computer commercial. You might have seen it. It's a shot of a lot of way, uh, wheels going tape and all that stuff. And a voice comes in and says, yes, it reduces and eliminates human error. Of course, what it introduces is computer error, which is 50 million trillion times worse than human error. Because if you have a hang-up with the insurance company and it's a human error, you call up the guy and say, what What are you trying to do to me, Smidlap? And he says, what do you mean? Did I write it down wrong? Oh, I'll take care of it. Have you ever tried to get something corrected when the computer is doing it? Do you know one credit card company lost me as a as a client because of this? You want to hear what happened to me with a credit card company? And, of course, nobody believes in computers more than credit card companies. I sent in, you know, the application to become a, uh, have a credit card because uh, this lawyer that I go to and all that, he says, you've you got to have a credit card, see, for official business lunches. So I said, all right, okay. I don't want to do it, but all right. Because I suspected something. I'm like an animal. I'm afraid that I have great animal instincts. I suspected that I was making a mistake. So I wrote out this whole thing. It was all typed up that you know, the application. So uh, I sent it in. I waited. Well, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, because it takes it forever for these things to happen. See, five weeks go by. I guess they're checking with the Miss Shields in second grade to find out if there actually was a shepherd, you know. They're checking all the, all the uh, credentials and all. And by the way, nobody checks theirs. But uh, nevertheless, uh, they're checking all... Have you noticed that the bank always checks your... your uh, your endorsements and your credentials when you're giving them money. I mean, I, and nobody ever checks Irving Trust Company. Who is this Irving? I don't know him, you know. He could be, you know, some flim-flam artist selling whale blubber, for all I know. But uh, I give him my money. I never question, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, they keep telling me i got a friend at Chase Manhattan, but I don't know this Chase. Every time I go there, they look at me suspiciously, you know. But uh, nevertheless, uh, I, I waited four weeks, five weeks. Finally, my credit card came. 
and it came with all kinds of papers. You know, it says, we welcome you as a, a new owner of our credit card. You can use it for everything in the world. I mean, you can uh, you can uh, put anything on this thing, see, and uh, it'll, it'll be your most useful tool. And uh, the whole big thing, I looked at my credit card. Are you ready for this? They misspelled my name on my credit card. Well, now, that's very embarrassing, friends, because half of the time when you go around with your credit card, they ask to see your identification. They want to see more than your credit card. And if your name is different on, on your driver's license, friend, you're going to have a little trouble putting that hamburger you just bought on your credit, see? So I says, what? My name is, what do you mean my name is misspelled? Uh, and, they, and they misspelled it in an extremely exotic way. You know, they had S-H-E-P-H-E-A-A-A-A-R-D. I have never in my, ever seen it spelled like that. See, that's maybe the old Dutch. I don't know. Certainly wasn't my name. So I take the credit card. I said, well, tomorrow morning I'll call them up and I'll tell them. So the next day I call up this company. And I get about 15 different numbers. They keep going, ooh, 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 ee, ee. People say, yes, I'll switch to number 12. Ooh, 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 ooh. I finally got somebody and I said, my credit card's got the wrong name on it. That's impossible, sir. You have somebody else's credit card. I said, no, you sent it to me. Well, uh, that's uh, impossible. Uh, uh, the names are all processed. You must have written the name down wrong on the application. I said, you're trying to tell me I misspelled my name on the application? Says, that's the only way it could happen, sir. The uh, computer never makes an error, and uh, the uh, all these are fed into the computer. And uh, s uh, seriously, sir, all these are fed into the computer. We have no... The human hands do not touch this. Uh, we have nothing to do with the names on the credit cards. The computer makes up the credit cards. Telling me I misspelled my name? Yes, sir, that's the only way it could have happened. Now, please send your card back to us, however. Make the corrections on the card and uh, include, include a letter and send it to Miss Gumpox in the, the computer department three, and we'll see what we can do about it. I said, okay, I'll send it in. So I take my credit card, I send it in. Okay. Three weeks, four weeks go by, five weeks go by. Finally, I get a letter from the credit card company. I'm all excited. See, I open it up. Oh, no. S-H-E-P-P-P-E-E-A-A-R-D. They took one A out and added two P's. What the hell's going on here? So I call a guy up, more switching, more beeps, and I get him again. He says, uh, hello, hello. I says, this is Shepard. Who? I says, Shepard. Shepard, remember me last... Oh, hell, it was four months ago. You remember? I called up and said, you misspelled my credit card? Oh, uh, yes, I think I do recall that. Have we straightened that out? I said, listen to this one. S-H-E-P-P-P-H-E-A-A-R-D. That is not my name. I just got it in the mail. Well, sir, uh, you must have filled out the application form incorrectly. After all, uh, we do not touch those names. Those names are fed directly into the computer. After my third credit card, and by the way, at the third one, they started to misspell my first name. After the third credit card, I took that little bippy and I lit it with my cigarette lighter, which has my name printed on it. You see, my na I have a cigarette lighter, which was given to me by a record company here in town on the mistaken impression that I'm a disc jockey. They sent me this 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 uh, credit. By the way, this beautiful little Zippo lighter has my name misspelled. It's spelled G E N E. So I took my little misspelled cigarette lighter, which, by the way, is probably programmed by a computer too. 
I lit it, and of course, first thing that happened was my thumb caught on fire. My thumb always catches on fire with this thing. So I blew my thumb out, and I very carefully lit my little celluloid credit card. It was only then that I discovered... You know those credit cards are made out of unburnable material? You can't burn them. Did you know that? They don't burn. You can't destroy forever, forever and ever and ever. My name is now going to be some odd Dutch name that sounds like somebody who took over Dutch Guiana in the 18th century. S-H-E-P-P-P-H-E-A-A-A-A-R-D. Jean Chapard. It's a wonderful name, but it really isn't my name. And so I took out a pair of wire cutters, and I cut it into little tiny pieces, made a little pile out of it, see? And I drove down the street in a cab, sprinkling it like the ashes of a dead ghost on 6th Avenue, which is, uh, you know, a good place to spread ashes of one kind or another. So, friends, sure, they've reduced the human error, but they have introduced the computer error, which, uh, as everyone knows, uh, is antiseptic, is not touched by human, and it's an honest error, you see. It's a, it's a wonderful thing. How much time do we have? Oh, it's time for the team. All right, bring it in, Matt. Bring it in there, pig. We'd like to salute any uh, human cannonballs that are listening to us tonight. Yours is a uh, fast-disappearing profession. 